If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, somebody. Today we bring you a special episode of the show. This is a conversation I had with actress and activist extraordinaire Susan Sarandon back in June. You may remember that. At the end of the episode, you'll hear a short update about what she's up to now. Ooh, some secrets, baby. Susan and I got together on October 22nd and talked about the work progressives have to do no matter what happens after Election Day. For the entire conversation, go to Patreon.com and become a member of Hello Somebody. Your membership gets you merchandise, special bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and a whole lot more. That's Patreon.com forward slash hello somebody she is an award-winning actress thank you um members of the academy for including me in the fine presence of these other great actors and activists you are the power this is going to change from the bottom up our purpose is to harness love and implement the demands of justice. A mother and my dear friend, I call her SS Enterprise. Hi, this is Susan Sarandon. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. Susan and I connected on a solemn day as many of the protests and civil unrest was building, and I knew she would have a lot to share about how we can better come together and the change we can create. How are you feeling this morning? I am feeling hopeful but heart-heavy. I'm frustrated and encouraged simultaneously by, you know, the action in the streets. I mean, I think this is a really, really historic time and to be able to look around and see so many like-minded people is so important. 
I just think we're in a perfect storm of opportunity with so many people not working and the mainstream media having to cover things that they have been very slow in covering before and the numbers all over the world that are paying attention and that are supporting black people in the United States and are speaking out against systemic racism in a way that we haven't seen. I think that is just extraordinary. And I'm really pleased to see so many young people, you know, that are out there and so many white people that are examining inherent racism that they never really have had conversations about and are, and are reading things they have never read. And, you know, that is, that's, how do you feel? Heavy and hopeful at the same time. So I certainly am vibing with what you are saying about this moment, what is happening, what is yet to happen, because we still don't know what else will happen. And just thinking about, you know, for us to think about what modern day activism really looks like. What does it look like and feel like? Uh, because of mm -hmm. COVID-19, but also because of the technological advancements that we have where a generation or two ago, we could never still be doing some of the things that we're doing, uh, but for the advent of, of social media. What you have now is this amazing mechanism that's in place when the mainstream media has not held on to stories, has not talked about it, uses language that frames the death of a black person and the, what did they do to deserve this every time. You, you, you know, all of these things are being examined now, which is as important right now in the midst of all of this stuff. That is so important too, because that is the, the racism that exists within the system that just keeps perpetuating the stories that we're hearing over and over and over. I'd also like to just mention, you know, Newsweek called because Giuliani was boasting about that there were never any riots uh, under him. You know, this didn't happen. And you might remember I had no riots when I was mayor, and I had police brutality case. And cops like me and trust me because I supported them. And I saved more black lives than anybody in the history of the city by reducing murder. And they knew that I had been arrested because of the shooting of Amadou Diallo. Diallo was just 22 when his life was cut short by a hail of NYPD bullets. Officials say 41 shots were fired by plainclothes officers outside of his Bronx apartment building back on February 4th, 1999. What happened was that after he was shot in the lobby of his apartment, Giuliani bragged that this would disappear and no one would pay attention. And it would be gone by the time the summer was over. And so there was a, a, a certain amount of organization where every week people would be arrested to try to keep it alive, to try to keep it in the news because they were not arresting the officers who ultimately were charged and were acquitted. But at that time, they just were not indicting anybody. And so um, one week I was arrested and there were maybe I don't know, a dozen to 20 people, mostly black religious leaders, men. There were maybe three other white women, older women, and we were handcuffed and we were taken and we were booked. And no, there wasn't a riot, but there was no press. I mean, there was barely, you know, there wasn't the opportunity 
there wasn't the mechanism. I bring this up because you're talking about how it's different now. The ability to mobilize, the ability to get eyes on things um, was much less. It was a quiet, you know, they did the thing where they tell you, all right, you know, leave now or you'll be arrested and you don't leave and you're arrested. And no, there wasn't any kind of uh, violence because also people just weren't aware. And I continued to get an itsy bitsy taste of what it's like to be profiled because the police from that point on really made my life miserable when I would go anywhere. I spent four months plus down at Ground Zero and I had a policeman come up to me about the Diallo shooting at that time you know, and stick his fist in my face and really threaten me and tell me, you know, I didn't understand the life of a policeman and how tough it was and, and really, really, really angry. And so I developed just going on alert whenever I would be down at Wall Street when I went down to that and there were a bunch of cops down there. I knew that they were going to have something to say. I knew that. And then I thought, my God, to be a black person in America and to every time you see a policeman be going through a thousand times, a million times more than what I'm going through in terms of going on guard because you expect something to happen, you know? To that point, Susan, I mean, it is a life, it's a lifelong anxiety, a burden. Your heart skips beats. You just never know from one day to the next. And as a mother, sending your kids out and not knowing what's going to, if they're going to come home. I mean, I can't even fathom it. It's a traumatic experience that repeats itself every single day, every little minor interaction. You know, my husband is retired, a police officer, our son is, is in law enforcement. And I, I remember us getting pulled over by the police. And even though my husband is in the driver's seat, and he is a former police officer. Our son is in law enforcement right now. My heart was skipping beats. I was so nervous. And I don't remember mm. feeling, I mean, all the threat has always been there, but it's, it's so heightened and you start to perspire and you start to think all of these thoughts. Oh my God, what if I get shot? Who should I call? Should I put my phone on record? And this is not the first time, but just think about living like that. I remember when our son was just a baby and my husband and I had pulled, had just gotten some food, some fried catfish and all of that good stuff on a Friday. And we had pulled into a lot where the business was closed and we were just there as a family, just enjoying our meal in the car. And my husband spotted the police. He was, they were across the street at a convenience store. And he said, this, these officers are going to come over here. And sure enough, they did. And we weren't bothering anybody. We were just minding our own business, spending time with our family, and they did. They came over and questioned as if we didn't have a right to be there. And that's really what this whole movement for Black Lives is all about, is a fight for our existence to be in any place whenever we decide to be. That is always called into question, and that itself... That was in the in the in the 90s. You know, our our son was born in the late late 80s, almost 90, 1990 almost. So just think about living like that every single day. And so for you, because of your activism, to have just even a taste of that and the fact that you were there very early. That's why I put activist first, because you are an activist through and through, and you and others continue to use your platform to draw attention. I mean, so many people 
probably have not even, I mean, a lot of the millennials and Zs have probably never heard of Amadou Diallo, you know, who was shot on, in 1999. He was only 23 years old. He was a Ghanaian immigrant, and he was shot and killed. And you're right. And you know, I still run into his mom, who thanks me to this day, and keeps me abreast of what she's doing as an activist. Every now and then, she'll just pop up somewhere and reintroduce herself, you know, and she, that, that altered her life. And, you know, that, that loss never goes away. And now we have a chance. Society is collapsing upon itself. The system we have, there's no one that can say it's working. Even if you're racist, you can't look at the system and say it's working. You know, it's just economically, everything that the senator, that, that Bernie was talking about, things have to change. The money has to move from where it is to other priorities. Uh, it sounds scary to say defund the police, but what we're talking about is changing our concept of what we've given them, what job we've entrusted them with that they're not capable of doing, which is mental health and housing and education, all of these things that are really screaming to be addressed because we have defunded them. And I think those are conversations that haven't been had not in a deep way. I mean, it's certainly true that the African-American community has been trying very hard to have these conversations. I want people to think about how, as a black person in America, your humanity always has to be validated. Whether or not mm -hmm. you're telling the truth always has, has to be validated. See, see a, a smartphone really proved George Floyd right. A smartphone right. proved that he was not resisting. That was the lie that law enforcement told automatically. A smartphone proved that Christian Cooper, for example, in Central Park, was not messing with Amy as she lied and didn't realize she was being recorded as she continued to put on an act as though Christian Cooper mm -hmm. was somehow a threat to her. A recording proved that that Ahmad, that, that, that he was not doing anything wrong. And so just think about that as, as black people need something else, either a thing or a person to validate that either they're one telling the truth or two worthy. And the key word is worthy exclamation point. Changing laws is one thing. Changing people's hearts and minds is another. So how do we begin to deal with what is happening, not just as a matter of reimagining policing in America, but also reimagining the value of black lives. Well, and also let's, let's look at what is the story that threatened that woman who's a neoliberal Hillary voting gal in Central Park to go to that scenario? What, you know, she wouldn't consider herself racist. She was scared. Why? What stories have been passed down in our everyday language and in, 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 on mainstream media, the way that everything is sold, the way that people have, have become isolated in their little bubble so that anything that's different is threatening to them? Why are they afraid? You know, My kids played sports in his school, which is a private school which, uh, on the Upper West Side, which is mostly white, mostly Jewish. And when those kids played a team that was not on their roster, that was mostly a black team, the rest of the kids were so terrified. Now, that's growing up in one of the most diverse cities in the United States. 
So how was their formation? And they're going to go on to be bankers, and they're going to go on to work on Wall Street, and then maybe they'll be doctors, and they'll carry with them their racism that is fearful. So how we have to address those stories, too, as white people. And I, I, I don't know, you know, I look at black culture in awe of the fact that you have a whole group of people snatched from their culture, used and abused, and never given real freedom, and never given equality, and yet producing culturally the most extraordinary music, the most extraordinary art, the most joyful way of living. How, you know, how that is to, to grow up with PTSD that you must have to be, to, to live the way you're talking about living as a black person in this country and to come from that and to preserve and create a culture that is so rich and an exuberance that exists, you know, with humor. And I mean, you listen to Cornel West talking about the most bleak, horrible things and always goes back to a place of love and can name every single person that has contributed uh, poetry, jazz, you know, music, dance, whatever. This to me is extraordinary. Well, we, you know? we love America more than America loves America. Mm. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC 
was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And one of the things that Dr. West said... If we had created a black version of the Ku Klux Klan, had been embracing it with all the love. Now, I'm not saying we don't have black thugs and gangsters. I'm talking about the best of our tradition. Because brother, 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 if we had created a black version of the Ku Klux Klan, had been a civil war every generation with terrorist cells in every hood. And one of the reasons why we have not is because of our deep and abiding belief We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everything Mm -hmm. that you just named as, as in terms of how black people as a whole relate to a nation that deemed us chattel. From the beginning, we were insured. Some of those insurance companies still exist to this day. Some of those banks still exist to this day who made profit off of the chattel slavery of my ancestors. And how is it that we don't rise up in mass with a hatred and a resentment that bubbles over into constant violence every single day? You know why we don't? Because we love this country and believe in the founding principles, even though they're not lived out in our everyday lives more than this country does. That's that's something right there. And I saw I saw a meme the other day that said that America should be happy that black people only want equality and not revenge. Hello, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe this is our chance because there never has been equality, obviously, never. for women also. And maybe now we can invent democracy in the way that we've been talking about. And I'm, I'm really optimistic when I see, because of Bernie's example, so many people running for office in a clean way, you know, refusing PAC money and believing in people. I think this is the thing that drove me crazy is when you have people that see themselves as progressive, but they're so cynical that they believe that people have to take all that money. And of course, how can you take all that bad money and then be free to do what needs to be done? It's just impossible. And all of these people that are coming up now and are are managing to also challenge incumbent Democrats and that are saying, no, we're not going to do business the same way, that, you know, gives me hope. Because they're not intimidated by power. They understand that there are more like-minded people out there. And and when you see these pictures of people in the street, in all these different countries also, but in all these cities, you know, that just really moves me. And, and, um, And I bank on that. I bank on that, and I think that when people... 
go to a park and they look around and people are sitting with their hands up and saying, you know, no justice, no peace, and you can see so many people, you understand that there is a chance that there can be a change in consciousness. There is a chance. There's always a chance when conscious-minded people unite. Sorry to interrupt. I'm Tina Knoll. I am the very lucky producer of this program. Hello, somebody. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show and join a super duper fun backstage party that's happening over on Patreon, you got to head to patreon.com forward slash hello somebody. When you get there, you'll have access to exclusive video content from Senator Turner, bonus episodes, merchandise, and a whole lot more. Again, to support this show, if you really like what we're doing, head over to patreon.com forward slash hello somebody. Okay. Back to this awesome interview. You know, I, I've been reading something else. I just wanted to read you of Howard Zinn. The very end of this essay, which is called The Optimism of Uncertainty. He says, to be hopeful in bad times is not just foolishly romantic. It's based on the fact that human history is a history not only of cruelty, but also of compassion, sacrifice, courage, kindness. What we choose to emphasize in this complex history will determine our lives. If we see only the worst, it destroys our capacity to do something. If we remember those times and places, and there are so many where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us the energy to act, and at least the possibility of sending this spinning top of a world in a different direction. And if we do act, in however small a way, we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future. The future is an infinite succession of presence, and to live now as we think human beings should live, in defiance of all that is bad around us, is itself a marvelous victory. That was so yes. beautiful. If we do yeah. act. If we do act. But, you know, people want uh, have to understand that, not that I'm saying to go slowly, but that we have to take each day and each victory. We have to keep the pressure on as people start to go back to work and Kardashians do something, or I don't know, when the mainstream media. We, we have to keep in the streets, we have to keep that pressure on. We have to keep sending those emails and look at all those down-ballot people that you want to support to, to, to make the difference, those local judges, those local... Uh, uh, people on your school board, you know, all of that. We have to keep that, too. Keep going, keep going. That's exactly right. If we do act, magnificent change will happen. And it, it's, it's a never-ending. I try to, I want people to kind of visualize a human chain that never ends. That's really the essence of what you just read. Never ends. And even when we see glimmers of hope, and we see that we have made some successes. We celebrate. We take the, mo the time to take all of that in and celebrate for all of five seconds. And then we must be right back on to the next. Evil never sleeps, so good can never take a vacation. That's how we got to look at this, <laughs> right? The fight for justice. But when we, and, when, and when you look back at the moments where there has been a jump, for instance, the vote for women or you know, the Emancipation Proclamation or the voting rights or, you know, so many of these things. It has been at a cost, but you don't even know all those little people that were 
leading up to the big confrontations, you know, that, that were the organizers, that were to, and I think now it really falls very heavily on white people to fucking wake up and start to look at your own laziness, your, how you have benefited from this system, even when you weren't aware White privilege. Yes, white privilege is everywhere, you know, and so yes, you, I have this conversation with my kids about saying, yes, I know I'm racist at times, I know that I have this, and they were like, mom, we're not racist. I said, no, just, you know, think about any kind of conditioned response you have to color that is not a good one, or systems that you have benefited from. And, you know, years ago, I tried to do the movie of Jane Elliott, you know, the blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment that she did. I separate groups of people according to the color of their eyes in order to give them the, some idea, white people, some idea of how it feels to be treated unfairly on the basis of a physical characteristic over which you have no control. When they did it in Jack's school, which again was a Quaker school, like in second grade they do it, but they, they do it, um, okay, this part of the class is going to be green and this part of the class is going to be yellow. And then they do the, you know, what they do in that exercise by making one have all the privileges and one not having privileges and telling them they're lazy and everything. But he had never mentioned that they did it in school. When I went to the teacher's conference, I said, you know, when did you do this? Because Jack didn't mention it. And they told me, and I went home and I said, Jack, you didn't tell me that they divided the class between, like, blue and yellow. And he said, well, that's because, Mom, I was the white person and it didn't really bother me. Wow. He knew in yes. second grade. Just really a glimpse into how we are socialized as a nation. It's in our subconscious. Nobody has to tell us because it's been programmed so exactly. that it's an automatic response. And the fact that Jack knew enough to say, hey, I, I kept my current condition or position in the universe so it didn't matter to me as much. And Jane Elliott, you know, she did that at a school that she taught at, and it was a suburban school in response to the assassination, the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. She received such backlash for doing that, and she is certainly an international figure because she had the courage to show, to really not just tell, but to show through trying to recreate the environment as much as she could Right, and what, how it affects your learning because the kids that were wearing the collars that were on the bottom, you know, just couldn't function after a few hours of that. And she made the mistake of, you know, Martin Luther King was, I believe, assassinated on a Thursday, and she went in and did the thing on a Friday. She went into the lunchroom, the teacher's room, at break because she, when they were out in the schoolyard, it was so within 15 minutes the, the kids were suffering and she thought oh my god what have I done and she heard two teachers cursing Martin Luther King and she went back in and said all right she's going to continue it and then all that weekend the kids that were on the bottom didn't understand that on Monday they would be on the top so then on Monday those kids tended to be the ones that were now on the top tended to be much less cruel than the first group and 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 her dog was killed and her kids were beaten up after doing this and her family's restaurant was boycotted and went out of business and that was in Iowa if uh, if my yeah, memory serves right. me correctly where no one had seen a, a black person and yet when she asked them 
What do you know about black people? They had every cliche you could imagine. Because of what the Their parents. Parents and yeah. how African Americans are portrayed or not portrayed in not right. just mainstream media, but even for me growing up, very few images of myself and when there were, they were either drug dealers or drug addicts or prostitutes or maids and think about growing up generation after generation you know for me ss and for those of you i call susan abigail sarandon ss enterprise i just want y'all to know that she is the ss enterprise i'm I'm snapping my fingers on that one but as as you know (laughs) just imagine not having not seeing yourself in a positive or sexy or intellectual way and when i mean i mean i mean a sexiness that that is not you know just about what you are wearing but it just it just it just bubbles off of you it's the way you walked into the room that kind of thing you know when when they were talking about tall dark and handsome growing up i was looking for the black man to walk through the door you know i didn't know they meant a white <laughs> man like like Hugh, Hutz, uh, rock hudson or somebody like that i'm like where is where's the tall dark and handsome person mm. you know when i think of that i think about billy d williams you know, that's tall dark and mm-hmm. handsome but they were talking about white men and that when 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 black panther came out ss the, the like the seven year old Nina Turner, the twelve year old Nina Turner, the fifteen mm. year old Nina Turner jumped for joy because to see black people in their glory, in their power, controlling a nation, controlling science, seeing the rainbow mosaic within the black community and all of the hues that we come in. You know, seeing mm-hmm. the army of black women, the the true first mm. Amazon women doing the daggone thing. I mean, every time I watched that movie, I craved so much that 15-year-old Nina had a chance to see those kinds of images. And here it is. I had to wait until almost 50 to see us in that kind of glory and complexity. Right. Right. I mean, people just, they they don't, they don't, a lot of folks don't get it because if you are part of white America, you see yourself in those images of intellect and power all the time. It's just a given. Well, Jesus is white now. Tarzan, you know, Tarzan is white thought. I think it was one of the comedians that basically said, or maybe it was Muhammad Ali. No, it was Muhammad Ali. So anyway, I was always curious. I always wondered why, you know, Tarzan is the king of the jungle in Africa. He was white. This white man swinging around Africa with a diaper on hollering. Oh! You all see Tarzan over here? Right. And all the Africans, so he's beating them up and breaking the lion's jaw. And here's Tarzan talking to the animals. And the Africans been there for centuries, and he yet can't talk to the animals. Only Tarzan can talk to the animals. I always wonder. I found myself in 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 agreement with those things. And you sit back and you question how the psychology of not just racism, but anti-blackness to a finer point, SS. And that's what I want people to understand. Yes, racism in and of itself is a horrible and cruel mechanism that has been used to control psychologically, physically, morally, mentally. Then when you put the other burden of anti-blackness on top of it, baby, you got something that is untenable. But yet generation after generation, African-Americans and those other black people in the diaspora have been able to 
endure and in some ways try to go from endurance to thriving as best that we can. Yeah, yeah. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I thought it was, you know, the epitome of white entitlement and privilege when Moonlight won an Academy Award and was the most extraordinary, if you saw it, it's, it's such a lyrical, beautiful film. And people actually said, but there's no white people in it. They asked, they asked the writer-director, you know, why are there no white people? He said, well, because I was writing about where I grew up and there were no white people. You know, but the assumption that, you know, somehow he'd left those white people out. But there, he said, like, I didn't see a white person until I was like 19. But that he even was asked that question. 
I know, right? Because it's just a given. And these are the things, the implicit biases that people don't even think about. And we're all socialized that way. I mean, it's not just about white racism and what it means. Institutional racism is about a power dynamic. I mean, just think about the Fortune 500 companies right now. I think there may be maybe four black people who run a Fortune 500 company. People need to Mm. wrap their minds up. It's social, it's economic, it's environmental, it's political, it's racial. It is all of those things. And so racism itself is not just about one person saying, I don't like you because you're black or because you're brown or because you're indigenous. It is an entire system. It's redlining. It's the fact that there's only been one black president in the history of this country so far. It's the fact that there's never been a black woman elected governor in the entire United States of America and so on and so forth. Even when we get that first one, we're still late. We're still behind. And those are just yeah. some examples that we have to deal with. You know, as, as I don't know if you heard of, it was a college professor named Andrew Hacker. And I believe he taught in New York, but he used to, to conduct a, an experiment kind of similar to Miss Jane Elliott. But he would say to his class, to for them he would say pretend you got a knock at the door and the knock and the door the person's at the door and they says excuse me uh miss sarandon we want to apologize to you there was a mistake made you were not really born white you were born black and we understand that this is going to cause so much turmoil in your life your life is going to change our apologies for this mistake we are not just going to leave you out there hanging how much, how much is it worth to you? Yeah, how much would it take to even the playing field? Yeah. 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 And and just instinctively, students would throw out these astronomical numbers. Why? Not because somebody ever asked them that question, but just intuitively, instinctively, in their subconscious, they know that it is painful and that you do sacrifice a lot in life to be black. The equation has also been set up that now as a white person, if you're looking toward, you know, taking money out of the police department and putting it into mental health facilities, that somehow that you're taking that from me. I'm entitled to that. So if I see someone else doing better, somebody that's black or brown or Asian or gay or trans, and I've done something to make that, that somehow that has lessened what I have. That's an innate kind of white privilege feeling. When you see someone doing better and you feel like it's cost you something, <laughs> you better examine where you, you're coming from, you know? Because like you say, we, we own all the marbles. So if somebody get, gets a couple marbles, I'm losing my marbles. That's not what it's supposed to be. That's not what it's supposed to be. And you, how many marbles do you fucking need, really? Come on. Hello, how many do you need? How many do you need? Oh my God. So- well, I guess we have to say, as Howard Zinn said, that we have to be hopeful that every... And we do act. And- yes, that change is coming. So I do want to go back into a lighter moment. That moment is, I mean, we traveled basically all over this country together. This is that's this was our second tour, if you will. I'm so honored to call you sister. I remember getting a call from you and you said, Nina, I need to come into South Carolina and I want to go to a black church. 
one, we need to get that work in, and two, where some excitement is happening, and boy, did we go to a black church like no other. Watch how many people get saved today. Girl, I like this church. I'm leaving my church today. Relentless church. Unbelievable. <laughs> this Unbelievable. is Luther Vandross Missionary Baptist Church. This is all right. I mean, really, like entering Oz. I, I mean, I know, you know, there's a big venue, but not a church that's built oh like that. That's how God. many thousands of people could be in there, plus the international TV thing was going. It really, how, how really many was. Thousands and are Relentless Church, can you just like give respect and honor for Senator Nina Turner? Thank you, Pastor. I bring to you greetings. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and to have that life more abundantly. Hello, somebody. And sisters and brothers in this life, we're going to go through some stuff, but we can't have a testimony without a test. And we are being tested to determine whether we have courage enough faith enough, conviction enough to do what is right in our time. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. I remember leaning over to you saying, SS, now this is not how it usually is in all black churches, okay? Because this right here, I mean, we had concert, we had it all in one, one <laughs> session. Praising the Lord, having a concert. You know, Major was there, the, the singer who has the hit, This Is Why I Love You. I found love in you. And I've learned to love me too. Never have I felt that I could be all that you see. It's like our hearts have intertwined into the perfect harmony. This is why I love. And our, we were there with our dear brother, Danny Glover. I mean, it was something. It was a sight to behold, wasn't it? I mean, it was just so joyful. I felt so welcomed and just full of, again, so much hope, so much love. People looking each other in the eye and... Uh, wishing them the best, wishing me the best. Uh, it was a celebration, and I think that that's, you want religion to be that. You want religion to be a celebration of the humanity in every person. You know, you want, he, how about when he did, like, just name a tune with love in it, and, and they did, like, a karaoke version that just went on and on. That was unbelievable improvisation. Have you ever been to a church like this? Somebody say love songs. Notice how it took you back. Reasons. Reasons that we hear. Disappear. And it was such joy. I mean, they pride, they pride themselves in being a church of many nations and expressing love towards God through vibrant acts. And my God, there were many vibrant acts on that day. And I'm just mm -hmm. smiling from ear to ear that we were together to be able to to really experience that together. I mean, it was just so... That was even better than getting a tattoo. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> to mark our, our adventure together. That will be a memory that I'll always have. I, I, I was so happy that that 
that, you know, that I was able to do that with you. That was really, really sad. And that you were my in, because I don't think they would have let me if you hadn't asked. No, they would have definitely let you in, Susan Sarandon. You are who you are. And besides being an Academy Award-winning actress and activist, somebody that is filled with hope, love, and leadership to be able to mm. be on that journey with you and the lethal weapon himself, Danny Glover was something amazing. They even put him in the improv. In, in you know, you saw that, him and his wife. And, and... Pooh, could you do me a favor and hand me this water real quick? Because Danny Glover is here. I just want you to hand me the water. Just hand me the water. Ain't cold enough. Pastor John Gray is just such a, a character when it comes to that, very gifted in just doing things like that right off the cuff. It was an experience like no other. And to be able to, to be with you because you are someone like no other, SS Enterprise, it means oh, so thank much. You. My heart is lighter just remembering this, to openness, to listen when, you're, when I'm acting. That's my trick. I'm just a good listener. And I feel like I'm listening now to you and I'm listening to the future and what can happen. And my heart is open and I thank you. Oh, my heart is open to SS. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your time and your experience with us. We are all on this journey together. If we do act, change can and will happen. So thank mm -hmm. you, Susan Abigail. <laughs> <laughs> What is your middle name, Missy? Lavon, Lavon, Nina Lavon. Hudson is my name. Nina Lavon. Hudson, oh H-U-D-S-O-N. No one knows who that person is. Now you guys are hearing that here. Now don't go out there spreading that too much. Lavon, and and now I am the Nina Turner. TNT. That's that's what I am. I always love talking with SS Enterprise. We caught up just a few days ago about what she's been up to since June. Well, the last time you and I talked, well, at least interviewed, because we talk often, we text talk, <laughs> we talk, we show up at the same virtual events as we did on Tuesday to support progressives running in California. Thank particularly. God. Thank God for you, Nina. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Oh. And I've been doing so many of these, Susan. I feel as though I'm back on the campaign trail, but only in 2D. I prefer, <laughs> I much prefer 3D. Yes. But 2D, I'm working it <laughs> as much as I can. But well, thank I, God for you, too. But so many seeing, people were thanking you Tuesday, though. Yeah. I mean, let me just say, a lot of people were thanking you for supporting them or people run across you and your other activism work that we did talk about a bit when we last were interviewing on Hello Somebody. So that was June 11th. It seems like mm. a lifetime ago. Mm. We're in October now. Well, it is. It has been for a lot of people with this COVID business. It has been a lifetime, hasn't it? So it's just, you know, it's touching so many families in such a horrible way. Uh, but I, I, I do miss being out. I'm not very good at. I don't have your gift of speaking in front of crowds. I'm much more of a one-on-one -on -one kind of person. You have another gift, but I miss the contact with people because there's so much energy that you get from uh, from 
the people that you're talking to, you know, from their enthusiasm, from their dedication, from looking around a room and seeing so many different kinds of people, so many different ages, so many colors all joined together. You're like, yeah, this, I'm not crazy. This is actually the way it should be. That's exactly right. And we're no, we're not crazy. And I miss it too. And you have other gifts. So we all have our gifts and when we put them together, it, it makes the whole, but just speaking of COVID, I mean, as we talk to one another on this day at this moment in October, it, you know, 8.4 million total cases in the United States of America, over 200,000 people in, in America have died. And that's not counting worldwide deaths are well over a million. And, um, and, and they're, they're predicting that it is going to uh, get worse as we get deeper into the fall. Yeah. As people go inside and, you know, then all of the, um, adaptation that has happened in terms of businesses is going to become harder and harder. And so we're going to see more of that. My, one of my brothers had a very successful restaurant in Northampton, Massachusetts, that he was yes. really a community center for people. And he just decided that he, there's no way that he can hold on any longer. And he's, tomorrow's his last day. And people have been coming out and talking about how much they're going to miss it and how important it was because that's where they first went for their first date or got engaged or had a birthday party you know so you're taking out not only the business you're taking out a lot of places that are hubs of community and those people are falling through the cracks too and and so you know nothing has been happening in terms of stimulus or am I behind on this, but it doesn't seem as if, you know, anybody on either side of the aisle has really made a dent in what people need to stay afloat. You know, even if they're, they survive COVID, you know, but they don't have insurance. So there, there goes everything there. It's just yes. exposed the need for Medicare for all in such an obvious way. Uh, I mean, you couldn't, I saw somebody the other day saying, oh, I think it was Jimmy Dore, was urging Trump on Fox. He went on Fox to say that Trump should do Medicare for all. And he'd win in a landslide. And I'm afraid that that is a secret that is true <laughs> um, if, if he wanted to really win, because people are needing that now. And, uh, you know, we're not getting that offer from Biden and uh, no. so he was saying, you know, just do it. Even if you did it on a temporary, sign the checks. Let's give something to people now. They're going, you know, through the cracks. For more of our conversation, head over to Patreon.com and become a member. When you are part of the Hello Somebody Insiders Club, you'll be entitled to bonus content and a whole lot more. See you there. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk 
can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.